Hi, I'm Daryl Urbanski, and welcome to the Best Business Podcast. My mission is to help create 200 new multimillionaire business owners. How? You'll do better when you know better. In my interviews, you'll hear from self-made millionaires, seven-figure business owners, authors, and world-class experts sharing how they did it so you can too without experiencing the same obstacles they did. Now, if you like this interview, please share it with a friend you think will benefit. They'll appreciate it, and I will as well. You can also connect with me on social media. Look for Daryl Urbanski, D-A-R-Y-L, Urban Ski, U-R-B-A-N-S-K-I, and add me so we can be friends. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy what I've prepared for you right here, right now. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always. And today we are joined by a very special guest and a guy who has really been there for me in the past. His name is Randy Zales. And Randy helps owners and executives achieve sales and profit-driven, people-centered, smart growth companies. His expertise has been used to accelerate the performance of hundreds of businesses and generate hundreds of millions of dollars for clients ranging from large corporations to small businesses. Known for his intense focus on improving performance and problems, Randy's Randy's leadership is the reason he's one of the most sought-after business growth and performance consultants in the world today. He not only built the most successful and longest-running Anthony Robbins and Associates franchises in history, his work with Wall Street's darling Bamboo.com helped the national sales force successfully merge with Internet Pictures Corp. and generate $30 million in less than one year. Recently, he helped the Gulf Coast recovery firm bring millions to Florida business owners impacted by the BP oil spill. His clients include corporate giants such as Reynolds America, MasterCard, DuPont, high-growth companies such as Nice Systems, Nuvasive Surgical, Lesser Design, and Neurogym. In the public sector, he's worked with the Department of Homeland Security and the U.S. Army. Internationally, he's worked with TD Bank, TD Bank Canada, the Middle Eastern Division of Faring Pharmaceutical, and Grameen Telecom, the largest telecom company in Bangladesh. So I've asked him to join us today so we can understand what he's doing to have such success and how we can all implement it in our businesses. Randy, thank you so much for joining us, my friend. My Your time today is sincerely appreciated how are you doing well i'm doing wonderful thanks for having me here just exciting to, exciting to connect again yeah yeah I'm, I'm it's always great to talk whether it's martial arts or business or whatever it's just fun to connect with you and i know a lot about your successes and like i said at the beginning like you've been there you've been there as a friend as a confidant and even as an advisor a couple of times when it was needed in the past but i didn't know you before you were this great guy you know to turn to for help with business so how did you even get started like do you come from a long line of entrepreneurs, like how did you even get involved in business and sales? No, you know, when, you know, I grew up in the metro Detroit area in Southfield and, you know, being an entrepreneur, being a business owner in the eighties, that wasn't the most common thing. Usually most, most kids, you know, you finish school, you go to college and you get a job. And for me, I actually took a similar path, but my starting point was the army. I went to Michigan State University, Army scholarship, and then got commissioned as an Army officer. And, you know, while I was doing that, I also, you know, in the process of going to college, I simultaneously enlisted in the National Guard and served in a long-range reconnaissance unit. And so my first experience in the real world or life was through the eyes of a soldier and a paratrooper. And that's how I got started. And that really set me on a very, very, very interesting path forward that led me to business. Mm. So now I think the one thing that, you know, people ask me, well, how did you go from the military to business? What happened was I got exposed to some work the military did back in the eighties on peak performance, on efficiency and on maximizing performance. Mm. And 
it's a, it was a book written, I think it was called In Search of the Warrior Spirit. It was about a program the Army did. They even turned it into a movie years later called, what do they call it? A stare, a Men Who Stare at Goats with uh, George Clooney. Okay. I haven't seen the movie. Yeah, yeah, okay. Which, it's, you know, it's, it's a little comical, but it was a good movie, and it really got into, you know, human optimization. That led me, I couldn't get access to a lot of the information on the program because, you know, it was, it was either, it was either restricted or confidential and I kept mm. requesting for it. And finally I got pulled in, you know, on the side by one of my, you know, commanders and he's like, you know, stop asking though. <laughs> okay, fine. That's the so one suspicious. thing I, well, you know, I mean, Hey, it is what it is. You got to accept it. But the one thing that I pulled out of that was one of the individual people involved in that work, believe it or not, was Tony Robbins. Mm. And Tony was heavily involved with John Grinder on a modeling project for the U.S. Army. And that project was how do they maximize 45 caliber pistol marksmanship? At the time, it was four and a half days. I forgot the percentage, is, but you had X number of people who, who qualified, uh, some made expert, and then a percentage that didn't qualify. What Tony did and John did is they put together a program using mod- – they modeled the best shooters in the military, and they end up creating a program, and they reduced it down to about, I think, two and a half days, and mm-hmm. the number of soldiers who qualified as experts went through the roof. Really? So, yeah. So very few people know – very few people have heard about this story, and it's not – it's only written in a couple areas. You'd have to dig around to really find it, and they don't mention Tony's name. So – that caught my attention. Well, I couldn't get access to anything else. I did get access to the stuff with Tony, and that led me on a path to attending Tony's programs. But then more importantly, it gave me a chance to spend a year with him on the road promoting his seminars. You know, there's a group of guys out there and a few gals called FSRs, field sales reps. And it's a very unique group of people. I did that for a year, and I was very much exposed to the business side of the world, Mm -hmm. seeing how companies were working on their sales, how they were building their sales forces, how sales affected the Mm. businesses. Mm. And in that process, while we were doing the promotion of the seminars, I would get sales managers say, hey, Randy, this is great. We're going to go see Tony. Thank you very much. But would you come back here and do a tailored program specifically for my sales force or my sales team? And it kept coming up, you know, session after session, week Mm. after week, town after town. So I did a little homework, and I realized that at the time, there was several billion dollars spent in sales development work. Nobody owned the market. So my you know, light bulb went off and said, there's an opportunity here. Mm-hmm. So I went ahead, and I had the opportunity to acquire one of the last Anthony Robbins franchises that existed, brought it out, moved it back, took it from the original location, opened it in the Maryland, D.C., Virginia area. And that's how that's how was my... That was my foray into the business world. Wow. Well, what an education, right? I mean, trial by fire to a certain extent. Yeah, no question about it. So now you got to be so curious because it seems like Tony Robbins is like military secret weapon on, you know, peak performance. And what I really like that you talked about is that they modeled the best shooters. They created a program out of it for two days and it skyrocketed the results people got. Is that, uh, that's not an accident, I'm guessing. No, no, that's not an accident. I mean, you know, the, it comes down to the essence of a concept of modeling. You know, it really was the taking the best people mm-hmm. and not, not copying the best people. Because if you copy the best person, this is, everyone talks about modeling. They throw modeling out like, like it's the ultimate answer to every solution. Oh, you want to improve performance? Go model so-and-so. Yeah, the problem is if you model somebody, 
in, in its entirety, you end up modeling the good stuff and the and bad. bad. Right. You know, and I could tell you, I also learned this lesson very in-depthly from one of many people's teachers, including Tony's, was a man named Richard Bandler. And we got, you know, that was one of the co-creators, co-founders of neuro-linguistic programming. And the one thing that he really drove home, and, and this is what I think where John and Tony's success were in the program, is they didn't model the best people. They modeled the best strategies. They looked at what they did individually. You know, they looked mm. at the techniques. They looked at either emotions. They looked at mindsets. They looked at tactics. They looked at thinking processes. Mm -hmm. And they pulled these things apart, and they found the best of the best, and then put it together and put it together. And that's, you know, and, and if you think about that, if you, if in any aspect in business, you know, the business world does it in best practices, yep. you know, though you have to be careful because best practices can change over time, or sometimes the best practice may only fit in a certain environment. What they did was pretty amazing. And that, you know, that really set me on a path as I looked at helping companies. That's where I really started. I, I started on this idea of using modeling, modeling some of the best, you know, best strategies, best practices, and then implementing them over and over again, getting better results, making modifications and making changes. And that started with sales and helping companies build sales forces. And then it expanded into, you know, it's been, you know, pushing almost two decades now. That's awesome. That's so awesome. I mean, right there is immense value for anyone listening to this, because at least what I got from that was take a look at the people that are the most successful at whatever it is you want to do, find the simplest commonalities between them, and just like just drill it just drill those drill 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 those in any way possible and that should bring up your level am i is that a correct assumption I mean absolutely you know and the key is don't model people you're, you're you know we get disappointed you know i mean i, mean, I grew up in the 80s in the u.s so we you know we had the if you go back in 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 history and and pop culture you know we always had the superheroes right mm -hmm. but you know back in the 80s and even before then superheroes were infallible you know, they were the perfect role model. Everything was fine. They saved the day and they had these amazing superpowers. And we, we, uh, we, 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 we put them on a pedestal right. as you, you know, fast forward into the future and you look at some of the, the comics and now, yeah, they're superheroes. They do great things and they have unbelievable talent, but they're not infallible. Mm -hmm. They do make mistakes. Mm -hmm. You know, they do have, they do have issues. So the big advice I tell people, if you're going to model something, you know, find Find that result that you want that someone or a group or an organization is really, really good at and model that strategy, model mm -hmm. that tactic, mm -hmm. model that protocol or mechanism, and then tailor it for yourself. Mm -hmm. This way you get you get what you want. It's it's much faster, it's it's cleaner, and you're gonna get the results you want much faster without all the bad stuff. I love that. I love that. That's huge. So for you and your progress, like you said, when you were training all these companies and you were you developing models and training people on the models, do you feel like you went through any big challenges or milestones in your own evolution as a business owner? You know, I find as a business owner, you always go through different challenges mm -hmm. and, you know, and they, I think they show up at different times. You know, sometimes it's what's going on in the world or the market or, and by the way, that's one thing I chose not to do in my consulting and training world was I did not specialize. I mean, I guess to answer your question, this is one where I avoided a challenge was I made the decision not to focus in on any one industry. And by in the service business, obviously for what I do, I can do that. Right. Not every organization, not every company can do that. But I made that choice because if you so focused into one industry, 
then you are stuck in the ebbs and flows of that industry. So that was a way I kind of overcame a challenge that I saw other people uh, face. I knew some people in the 2000, 2000s that were, you know, I mean, hot shots in the IT telecom world and had thriving practices. And when that market took a swing, I mean, they got caught in the storm. They got caught in the storm, right, 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 right. I like that. So that in one sense, diversity leads to stability and whatever capacity. I mean, I've heard that before. Like one's the worst number in business. One key employee, one key product, one, you know, one key channel that you get, like customer acquisition channel, all that. I've heard one's the worst number in business. And it's kind of it sounds like that's what you're saying. You're like, you didn't want to get tied down in one industry because you didn't have to. In your, in your, but at the same time, it sounds like you were successfully navigating that all too common pitfall people get into where they for everybody, not for, right? Not for somebody. Yeah, absolutely. How did you dance that? How did you do that? Like, I guess if you weren't industry specific, then you still focused on a specific problem to solve. Is that correct? Well, yeah, because the truth of the matter is, you know, everyone who owns a business wants to think that their business is different. Right. And why, and it's not. Now, while there is, while businesses are unique and people are unique and the environment you're in is unique, Business as a whole is not. Right. It is, there is, you're dealing with, you know, if you take any business anywhere in the world, regardless of the size, you're really going to revolve around three major components. You're going to deal in profit mechanisms, people, and processes. Mm. And so if you look at any organization, whether it's a, a startup or a 500-person company, mm. all three of them are going to live and die or grow based on where they focus in with those three things. And within those, you've got all kinds of individual systems. Mm. You know, you've got sales systems, you have got strategy systems, you've got financial systems, recruitment and hiring. And so when you start looking at that, you start seeing a commonality across the board, and then it allows you to, well, as a consultant, it allows me to look at any business and start to see where there are either challenges, potential challenges, or where a few tweaks of the dial, a few tightenings up the cog could yield some incredible results. But not just as a consultant though, but as business owners, Mm -hmm. business owners start thinking of their businesses as systems or a system of systems. Then you can start to become more predictive. You can start to either know where some of the challenges are going to come before you get there and you'll be able to make small changes to them. So that's what I find it made it very easy for me to walk in any different kind of company. But I, I, again, I think that same kind of thinking is something that business owners need to start adapting to. They should not, they need to start thinking of their business that way. You have to develop a, a systems thinking. Absolutely. You, you have to in today's world. We're moving way too fast. Yeah. I mean, technology is being created at a faster rate than ever before. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that's shifting. Oh, absolutely. So, sorry, I interrupted you. I did. No, no, go ahead. But no, it's ex- it's exponential. In fact, there's a guy Ray Kurzweil. He's got an 86 percent accuracy. Historic historically, he's been 86 percent accurate with his predictions of the future since like the 1960s on techno- technological development. He got frustrated because he was an he was an inventor, and the things he would invent, he invented like two things, and both of the things were redundant once he finished like inventing them and getting the patents and everything done. So he was like, "How can I build a model?" 
that helps me figure out like that my inventions will still be useful in the future. And he started looking at the prog- how the history of how technologies developed, and he noticed that it was doubling and doubling and doubling and doubling. And he started making projection projections based on that assumption. And he and and now when you hear some of the stuff that he's projecting like into 2040, like it's insane. I mean, just because it's it's so it's the whole concept. Like, would you prefer a million dollars up front or a penny doubled every day for 30 days? And for the first 28 days, if you took the million dollars you'd be right. But it's like day 29, you got like 1.2 million. And then day 30, you know, you got like 2.4 million, you know what? And then it's like, you end up with $5 yeah, yeah. million dollars at the end of it. And that's this exponential curve. So technology is, is huge. And it's, you almost, it's growing so fast. It hasn't been affected by politics, by any weather trends, by anything, by wars. It's not slowed it down one bit. So anyways, when you talk about with technology, no, yeah. that well, I, I think technology is affecting all everything else. So, I mean, it's changing the way we buy. It's changing the way we sell. It's changing yeah. the way we operate. Even, you know, business owners right now have got to also start, you know, there's also a catch though. I think you've got to be careful on technology to the point that you need you need to form before form before function. You need to be clear of what you're using the technology for mm-hmm. before you start to jump into the next technology. Right. Uh, I think that's critical. Too many I see it, I see it with sales forces all the time. They jump into these CRMs, they make these massively big purchases, yet you know they don't have the right people in the sales job. They don't have the right people trained. They don't have a documented or or uh, clarified uh, selling process. Right. So there's a mistake there. I see other companies jump into technology platforms and haven't thought through how it's going to flow, the workflow in the organization. So, but you're right though, it, it, it's coming so fast. Buckminster Filler talked about this. Mm-hmm. I love Bucky. You you follow Bucky? Yeah, he's huge. Everybody follows, everybody should follow Bucky. Yeah, Buckminster Fuller. He was a design revolutionary, he was an engineer and design revolutionary in like the 1950s that was way ahead of his time. That is so amazing. And he talked about the concept of accelerated acceleration, time folding on itself. And I think what, that's what we're seeing now is we're seeing because we're creating technology, things are folding on itself even faster than before. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I mean, just look smart. Look at the smartphone. I mean, perfect example. You know, right now, nobody will leave their house. Right. I mean, you're not going to leave your house without your keys, you know, your ID, some cash and your phone. The truth of the matter is, though, you could be 20 minutes away from your house and realize you left your phone. You're turning around and it doesn't matter if you're late for an appointment. You're going to get the phone. <laughs> and 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 now we have that phone has become a conduit for everything. But yet now look at the phones. They're coming out before it used to be, oh, every couple of years, a new phone would come out. Big deal. Now, now we don't even think about it. They're coming out every year. They're coming out in quarters. Yeah. You know, even the phone companies now are saying, hey, you know, do this contract and you'll get the automatic next generation. So we're just creating things so fast and it is having an impact. Oh, it's huge impact. One of the things Peter, I always get his name wrong, Diamandis, Diamandis wrote a book called Abundance. He did the XPRIZE, which got our first manned suborbit space flight, essentially, which created Virgin Galactica. Right. Richard Branson came in and bought that. He's now got a couple other, he's using the same model. He's got one where he wants people to build a real tricorder, where you could have someone with a phone-type device in sub-Saharan Africa that would be <laughs> with sick with malaria or something like dengue fever or whatever, and it would be able to diagnose and treat them and to have that be something that every man, woman, and child could carry with them on the planet. And that's his next thing. So I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. I want to get back, though, because you were talking about people, and I and we kind of went on this great tangent about the future and where things are going, and I think that's huge and important, but it came from the point that some people 
people, they don't put, what is it? You said form before function. They jump into technology because it sounds great, but they don't really know how to use it or know what the, what to apply it for. They just think they're going to figure it out and it's going to be great. And uh, that's a huge mistake because it's it's creating a problem where there, there doesn't need to be one. Do you see any other common mistakes in the clients that you deal with? Is there regular like spots or bottlenecks that people seem to get stuck at when you work with them? Well, yeah, I think... You know, I think people have a lot of business owners usually have, again, the problems are going to fall and predominantly in, you know, in kind of one of three areas. It's going to be it's going to be a problem or something of an issue with profits. It, you know, that includes the sales. It may be a problem or an issue with processes, things that are the workflow, the efficiency, or it may be on the people side. And so I think it ebbs and flows. Every organization, every business, every different industry or environment has their different challenges. Sometimes it's time. Sometimes it's growth. Mm-hmm. And. I think I'll also see people, one of the other bigger challenges that I'll find is the lack of ability to adapt. And they, you know, it's not to be, you know, it's kind of a cliche, but the level, you know, that level of thinking that got you where you are is not going to get you where you want to be. Right. right. And we all, we kind of, we repeat that over and over again, but you got to go beneath the surface on that. And Again, this kind of plays off your question, but also plays on on the on the technology issue. It plays on the future. Is that right? There is probably one of the most important capabilities every organization and even down to teams and individuals is developing that adaptive proficiency, the ability to change to different people, situations, or circumstances. And we're we're getting you know, because things are happening so fast. Technology being a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Then there's world events. Then there's things that happen, you know, overseas or another country that immediately affects our markets, affects, you know, people's finances, affects consumer buying confidence, that affects spending, and and then it just becomes a triple effect, and all these things start occurring. Mm. And there's a concept that I say that have you ever heard of the term trigger events? Yes. Trigger events are things that are happening either socially, politically, economically, technology, et cetera, industry-wide, and they can cause a ripple. They can cause an effect inside your organization or a client's organization. Now, it's actually a challenge and an opportunity. You know, the, you know, for one example I've seen is a manufacturing organization has a product recall. You know, that, that, affect, that affects every single part of the business. Right. So I find that sometimes people can't adapt in real time they're also not adapting to the future. They're not adapting to what's coming down the pike. If we, if we even bring it down to even a, a simple level is, I'll use a business example. So if you look at, as companies grow, the single biggest complexity of any business is people. The more people you add to the business, the more complex the business will become. Right. So as you grow in people, you will see a challenge. One challenge I've seen is when companies start getting into, they start moving from that startup and ramp up phase and they start pushing into the 20, 30 personnel. Mm -hmm. They start moving into that category that we would call, you know, a a flood zone. And if you think about it in the early stages, a business owner is going to, the business is going to be very leadership centric, very CEO centric, Mm -hmm. right? They're going to touch everything. You start getting into 20 people plus plus, can't do that anymore. It won't work. Right. Your, your span of control is just not possible. You know, right. As a right. business owner or a leader, you just cannot talk to 20 people and give direction. Right. So at that stage, now you start to have to be able to 
shift and well, you got to delegate. You got to start forming departments or functional areas. You got to put putting you know, department heads or team leaders in place. Mm-hmm. That is a, a key issue. That right there is probably one of the biggest challenges I see on small growth companies that are moving is that transition to one, even finding the right people to do it, to take the job, preparing those people, not realizing that leadership or management development is crucial mm. as you get into larger size companies. And you know, can you explain that part? Like why is the management leadership development so crucial? Like we understand because you said it that it's important, but why is that such a critical thing? Well, if you think about it, so you, you're a company. Wow, you, you just went from, you know, you're a fast growth, you were moving, you are growing, you started off with 10, 11 people. You know, next thing you know, you're now you're at 20. You're 21, 25, 27, 28, 29, 30. Okay, you as the CEO, you as the business owner can't control everything day to day. You've got functional areas, people have to move. Right. So before, if you think about it as a business owner, the people that might be your department heads, the people that might head up the groups in your company, you're the one that has to direct one-on-one with them, that relationship. It's It's a one-on-one. Right. You know, leadership's about creating vision and alignment and execution. Management's one-to-one. Well, you have to think about that. While you may have things down with your people, you're now asking other people to now manage other people. Mm. And they've got to stay, they've got to, and they've got to make sure, even though they're in their own functional area, they're going to make sure they stay in alignment with the vision. Yeah. They have to make sure they stay aligned within the company and that they're executing, you know, together in the right way. And, and now you have managers who are, who are dealing with people and processes. If you don't prepare them, if you're assuming they're going to be professional managers, I mean, you're, we're, you're kidding yourself. It's right. just not, it's not real. I right. mean, you know what I mean? Yep. Yeah, there's a quote in martial arts. You don't rise to the level of ec- your level of expectations. You fall to your level of training. Absolutely. That's what this sounds like. Well, absolutely. So, I mean, I think that's th- that right there is adapting to growth. So, as you know, you start getting into that larger company, you're, you know, CEOs, owners, you're going to need to start delegating. You're going to need to make sure you're hiring professional managers. If you're not hiring professional managers, then you have got to make sure that you are developing the management. And even if you have both, since your company's unique, you have to start thinking about how do we want to manage and lead in this company. Mm. And if you get as you get bigger and bigger, you start pushing into 50, 60 people. If you if you grow that big, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, you need people that know how to run these things. Mm. Uh, I think another aspect that that really affects companies as they move through this flood zone, and this flood zone will occur as you it'll happen later on as you get to different stages of the company, is the level of the, 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 the methodologies, the processes, the systems, the protocols, the way you did business mm-hmm. will not work. Not everything will continue to work the way it worked before. And you're going to either have to let go of some of the things that don't work and you're going to have to implement new things. And that's That's important. And if you don't adapt to that, just even at the early stages, you know, that can have a huge risk to profitability. It can have a, a huge risk to sustainability of the business. Now, why is that? Like, why would something that worked before not work now that you're scaling? Well, think about it. The same thing we talked. Same thing we talked about earlier. You know, times have changed. Right. You know, technology shifts, changes, consumers change, customers are changing. You know, their needs change regularly. 
Right. So it sounds like it's a constant kind of ebb and flow between trying to keep prof. Like if these were three spinning plates, you know, you see the guys that they spin like 14 plates on a stick on a broom handle or something and they keep going back. So it sounds like the first one's the profit one and you get the profit going and now you need some people. And so you get the people one going, but now you're not necessarily always there. So you need some processes like some standard operating procedures or checklists and training material to keep the people and the profit kind of going. Right. And you just kind of end up going back and forth, kind of just cycling through all three. Like, all right, where are we at with the profit, right? Are we making money? Are we charging the right amount we should be charging? Are we, you know, are we capitalizing on all the available channels to reach our clients? You know, and then, of course, the people, are our staff doing as they're supposed to be doing? Are they making sure the customers are happy? And it sounds almost like you just kind of cycle through those three. Is that an accurate thing? I don't want to put words Absolutely. Into it. No, you're, you're, yeah, you're always going to have to focus on all three, but as you grow, where you focus is going to change. And, you know, when you're an early company, you're just getting started. Or if you're small now, there's no question that profits, sales and profits are king. All right. right. And, right. and that has to be the priority. As you start moving, like I gave the example, when you hit that 20 person mark and you start delegating, you're going to have to start focusing a little bit on the people. Right. Yeah. You know, do I have the right people? skills? Right. Yeah. 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 Do I have the right people in the right job? Right. You know? and, and that's a huge issue. For a lot of companies, they're, you know, entrepreneurs are sometimes in such a hurry to fill a position that their biggest enemy is themselves. Yeah. yeah. You know? been, been there, done that. <laughs> you're in a hurry. <laughs> well, you're in a hurry. You go through a ton of resumes. You might work through a recruiter. Bam. Oh, wow. This one looks so good. And you want the candidate to be the right candidate. And so you're looking for everything you can. Well, guess what? Your bias just got in the way. You're now looking for anything you can do to make sure this person's the right person. So, you know, and, and that's a system, you know, a system for hiring the right people that match the right job. As you get into, as the company starts getting into a little bit bigger, then you might, you're going to shift into the process gate where you're going to have to really lock down, you know, you start pushing 35 plus people, you know, you've got, um, you've got a handful of managers, even maybe a couple executives. You, I mean, at that stage of the company, you need to have processes, you know, your systems need to start being, you know, organized and integrated. And if they're not, you're going to, again, this it's, it's so crazy. Uh, it's it, not that it'll destroy the business, but there's so much, I've seen so much money left on the table and, and from optimization. I mean, you make small tweaks, yep. you know, these small tweaks here and there can, you know, bring such profit into a business. Yep. Yep. Even yep. if you didn't, if you, even if you didn't even increase the sales. So but yeah, you're right. The, the plates spin and you got to juggle them and you got to shift your focus as you grow. So let's talk about each. I mean, let's talk about some practical tips, I guess. If someone's, we'll kind of go through all three perhaps if we have enough time. I don't know. But so if yeah. someone's having a profit issue, what would you recommend? I mean, obviously this is so vague, so generic, but if someone's having a profit issue, either they're not making enough sales or they're not obviously generating enough revenue because either their cost of goods is, is too high or something. I mean, what would be some advice that you would give someone if that they called you and that's what they explained the problem? Or even what questions would you ask them or have them ask themselves to help get more clarity on it? Well, you know, it's, it's, you know, you're right. It's abroad, but let's think of it this way. Usually when there's profit issues in the business, then you, it's coming from a few areas, you know, cash flow may be down. You could be having limited access or limited capital to grow, or you got to improve the sales. So it, you know, depending upon where you go, I mean, that's the first part. You know, if it's a sales issue where a lot of companies still have that, then you need to work on focusing on the sales and, you know, and what that means depends on the size of the company and what's going on. Right. 
you know, if it's a lack of capital, you have to look at those sides as well. So the profits tend to break down into specifics. You know, I find right now I've seen in I've seen in some companies right now their challenge is is that it's really improving sales tends to be one of the most common of the challenges I see show up because whether you're a one or two person show growing and need to add a few people mm-hmm. or you already have a small team you need to put management in place to handle it you know or you could be a well established company you could have you know 20 people several managers even a director yet the market's changed you know and that means you have to now you have to reorganize or reshift so that I'll see those things show up a lot in the profit issue where it comes to improving sales. Got it. Okay. So at least we got some direction. Either your cash flow, which means your expenses are too high or the issue and you need to finagle your way out of that. Maybe talk to some of your vendors or people that you pay and see if you can figure out a new payment schedule or defer some payment for some time. Just get some breathing space and, and allow yourself some, some freedom there. Or you need to go find an investor. And this is something that it surprised me, but I, I guess I know a time when I didn't realize it. I mean, there's three parts to anything. It's either you have the time, the money, or the knowledge, but often you don't always have all three. So you may be in a company where you've got the time and the knowledge, but you don't have the money to do what you need to do. And there are people who don't have, who have the money, but they don't have the time or the knowledge and they'd be more than happy to partner with you. So people listening to this, it's all the time. People are like, well, where do I get money? It's in the community. It's getting out there. It's shaking hands, kissing babies. It's getting involved in the business community. It's almost as it's marketing. It's going out and just saying, telling people what your vision is, what you're trying to accomplish and what you need to get there and trying to recruit people and get them excited about your cause and what you're out to do in the world. So that's, I think, a good way if you're trying to find capital, either to start a business or you're one of those people that are stuck. Improving sales, getting more sales. How, how do you do that? Just talk to more prospects? Is that is well, that really what comes down to the end of the day? Spend more? No. no? I, it, that's just one, one of many approaches. But, you know, this kind of relates to your comment earlier about, you know, if raising capital, let's face it, if you know, if your business, if you're not, if you're not looking for tens of or hundreds of millions of dollars, then you are, you're out of the mainstream. So the institutional investors, the private equity, the venture capitals, a lot of them are in very large dollars. I mean, they have so much money they have to invest to be able to get returns back to their investors. Mm-hmm. You know, they can't put out a million here or half a million here. I mean, so if you're, if you're not looking for large chunks of money, ser- you know, serious dollars, then you're probably looking at either angel investors, you're looking at micro investors or private investors. Now, this links back to our conversation in the sense is that, one, if you don't have sales going, if you don't have profitable revenue, honestly, you have no business asking anybody for money. You will and not not for business. I mean, if you're asking for a personal loan, that's a different story. But you know, if if you got an idea and a business plan and you've got no (laughs) revenue, seriously, take that business plan roll it up and smack yourself in the head a dozen times. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, you, 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 the first thing that any investor is going to look for is they're going to look for, you know, yes. Yeah. They're going to look at your market. They're going to look at your, at your, at your um, strategy, look at your team. And they're going to look at how you're approaching things. But if you're not profitable, please, you know, it's not going to happen. So I would tell anyone, if you're looking at some stage where you think you want to raise capital, Focus on your sales. And not only focus on your sales, you need to build a system that's repeatable and duplicatable. That is what's going to attract 
you know, an investor uh -huh. when you can do that. I'm, I'm looking at doing that right now for a very large service organization. They are, their business acumen, their reputation, their skill sets are phenomenal in their industry. Yet out of the different, out of the different department heads or practice heads, if you will, they're the ones that are responsible for bringing in the revenue and doing the biz dev. Yet the challenge is, is that it's very relationship-oriented and very personality-driven. And so that's not duplicatable. You know, if you decide you want to sell a business, you know, and all of a sudden you two or three of your key players leave, where's the, where's the business development capability of the business? You don't have it. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at now as systematizing the business development and the consultative selling approach in that business where it can be systematized by group, by from leader to management level, and even to the point where they now, when they can hire people for those positions, they're focusing on the business development capacity. Do these people have the capacity to interact and generate future business with clients? And if they do, then now we have an internal system to prepare them to do it the way we found it to work. So, I mean, and that lends itself to your question you just asked me earlier was, if you have a sales issue. Well, I always tell people, if you have a sales issue, you got to take a step back. First, look at the sales job. You know, what's the sales role you're in? What is that? What are the requirements of that job? You know, to just that's where you, it'll sound bizarre because most people will start throwing techniques at you or right. give you the best, and, and, I don't, and, that's, and that's crazy. You know, that's like, you know, you and I both, you way more than I, you know, spend some time on the mat in jujitsu. You know, it's not about throwing out more techniques. There's some base and foundation you have to have, you know, and the base in this category is start with the job. If the job could talk to you, what would it say it needed? And if you're a one man show, fine, then think of your sales role. If you are a small business owner and you got a couple people working for you, take a step back because you probably sold the, your product or service yourself so, before, right. before you hired some salespeople. Take a step back and ask the question is, what does this job need to produce? Mm. Then look at what are the key accountabilities of that job? What are the major tasks this job needs to perform well to hit that outcome? That right there is going to tell you what you need to, you know, certain knowledge, then you, from there, that'll help you then decide, you know, what knowledge do you need? What abilities do you need? What skill sets do you need? What tools or mechanisms need to be put in place? So, because that's the first thing I do. When, when I find an organization that's having a sales job, sales challenge, you know, the numbers are not being met or they're not penetrating or they're not delivering the sale, I go back to the job because right. the job will tell you what you need to know. Then you find a way. In our case, we have a, a proprietary methodology and we use some scientific assessments to do it. We can then compare the job to an individual in that role to see where the gaps are. And then from the mm -hmm. gaps, you can make improvements. So I always tell people, you want to improve your sales, start with the job first or the role if, you, if you're by yourself. Like the role of the salesperson, I guess, essentially. Well, absolutely. Well, think about it. You know, so if you had a, say somebody is a, uh, well, th throw out, give me an industry. Give me a one man, a show industry. Plumber. Let's go plumber. Okay. A plumber. So if you look at it, you know, there's a, there's initial approach from where do the clients come from? Uh -huh. How do they enter into, where's that first contact, you know, and then from there, how do you move them through all the way to become a client and refer you? Well, you know, that's a, you know, that becomes elements of the sales role. Somebody has to, you know, engage the client, right. you know, support, you know, is that, is it inbound or outbound? Right. You know, once that client comes in the initial contact, 
you know, usually it's going to be a problem, you know, from that problem leads to, okay, fine, solve the problem, expand the problem, you know, add more services, come back again. So if you, if they break down what they do, how business comes in, yeah. and they think about their role in the process, yep. now they have the ability to, to make improvements. To make an improvement. And it almost sounds like this would be a good formula for the next step, the people one. It sounds like, like the people stage. I just love, because that's where I was starting to write down. You started with the results and then you took to like the duties and tasks and tools and things and what needs to be kind of done to accomplish the result. And then you kind of reverse engineer from there. And I, I, it almost sounds like that's how you would approach the people one as well. You would go, okay, what's the result that I need to have done? What tools do they need to be able to use? Or what tools do I need to be? It's almost like project management. What are we trying to accomplish? What resources and, and steps, what steps do we need to take to get there? What resources does it require? You know, and then obviously you try to match people to that function. Absolutely. Well, absolutely. You have to. I mean, today, you know, Time is an issue we've talked about multiple times throughout the conversation, but the job is critical. So, but what happens is we tend to hire people or put people in jobs we like, you know, we have some, you know, we have bias. We're, we're totally locked into bias on how we, on how companies and entrepreneurs hire people. It's, you know, and and the truth is even corporations, even a lot of corporations don't do a good job at it. You know, you can go look up the stats. You'll see many companies don't do a good job. No, they don't. And your personal biases get in. Think about it. You see someone's resume, boom. You start seeing something you like, boom. You like it. And what happens is you have positive and negative bias. Anything that you see that's either positive or negative filters. If you see something in a person's resume or how they sound or how they show up you don't like, it will filter your bias so that anything they do in the interview or in the hiring process, no matter yeah, no matter whether you whether they even demonstrate something that you would normally like or find beneficial – you put a negative spin on it. If you really like them, it's the same way. Mm. So you've got to start with the people mm. and, and get the, and by doing that, you get out of the, out of the person and focus on the job. If that job could talk to you, what would it say it needs for success? Mm. You know, what are the ta- what's the outcome it has to produce? What are the tasks it need to uh, create? And then you can even get down, since you're talking about people is what kind of behavior does this job need for success? Right. What kind of person would do this job? What kind of drive or motivator would they have to have to do this job really well? Mm-hmm. And when you, and these are, you know, so you look at the behaviors, you look at the driving forces, then you start looking at the competencies, not technical skill sets, but like self-management. You know, there's like 25 competencies that every human being has that we develop over time and experience and training could be self-management. It could be developing others. It could be leadership, decision-making. And the job's going to say, hey, you know, the job needs this. I need somebody, you know, like one trait that always shows up, self-management. It, 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 regardless of the position, people that are not self-managing don't do usually do very well. Mm-hmm. So if you can break, if you can take a step back and look at your jobs from that perspective, it's one of the things that we do. It's a, it's a, we call it job benchmarking. And we use a proprietary system for doing that, where you actually define the job, then you benchmark the job using stakeholders, people who know the job, and then using some proprietary scientific assessments, you can actually accurately measure that. And then as if you're deciding to either hire somebody or promote somebody, you then have the ability to then compare that person against the job to see how close of a match they really are. Obviously you don't have to use our system to do that. You can, you can get, if you just, if people, if, if business owners just went ahead and 
define the job. You're already a third of the way. You're you're 30% ahead of where you are. Right. Right. And 30% ahead of where a lot of people are, including a lot of corporate corporate clients, I imagine. Absolutely. Do you believe in the Peter principle, the principle where a lot of companies will promote someone, you know, Jerry does such a good job as a sales rep, he gets promoted to sales trainer. And he does does such a good job as a trainer, he gets promoted to sales manager. He does such a good job there, he gets promoted to like regional sales manager. And he sucks at that. So he just stays there because they can't demote him. Because that would, you know, that would that would kind of offend all the success that he's done for the company. But they can't promote him because he sucks at what he's doing. And so the Peter Principle, as it was described to me, is you know, promoting people that are highest level of incompetence. Do you believe that? Do you think that you should hire from within and move people up, or do you think you should benchmark each role and compare what's re- the role requires to the? Well, yeah. yeah, I'm biased. I mean, I think it happens the way you described it. It happens. I think business owners, entrepreneurs by nature tend to default to people they know and trust. And that can lead to, in some cases, nepotism. It can lead to other other challenges because in the beginning, you want to hire people you can trust. We're all hands on deck, and that's fine. But as you but there's a stage where you can't do that anymore. You need people who are the right either the either professional people for that job or the right people for the job. Now, I do it's one of the things I do for a living, so of course I'm biased. But yeah, I do. I think you cannot say because Randy or Daryl did a great job here or here that they could do this job. You right, could, right. but you're, you're, you're rolling the dice. Right. What you need to do is really, like I said, take a step back and look at the job and define it and see you know, if the person matches. Mm-hmm. Now, you may find some, you know, we're not looking for, and one thing I tell companies all the time is stop looking for the best candidate. That's where you're looking, you're trying to find this ultimate superior performer. One, there's not that many of them out there. Right. You know, and if you are, you know, they may not be looking, they may not be looking for the job. But what you can find is you can, there are a lot of people who are the right fit. You know, I mean, they're sticking, they're solid. I mean, they are a good or an exact match for your job. And with the right development and right support, you can turn them into superior performers. That makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. Because as long as they can do it adequately, it's almost like, again, if we go back to the martial arts analogy, I mean, you just need to, there's a 10,000 hour rule. So as long as they're a good fit for the job, if you can get them in there and train them up, this even comes from, I remember Emith, he was saying, you know, if your business depends on extraordinary people, then you don't really have a business, you know, because these people can leave at any time and hijack you. But I love what you're saying is you're saying, hey, find out what the job requires, find someone who's a good fit and develop the processes to help train people. And even like we talked about at the very beginning of the call, have modeling in place and training systems based on the modeling to create exceptional people. And that's even what Walmart does. That's how they're – or not Walmart. That's uh, McDonald's. I mean that's how they're able to have this massive multi-billion dollar company that's you know hiring teenagers. Well, that, well, you know that that's kind of inherent in franchising. I mean, people don't realize, but franchising is a is a good model to look at because it's based on a brand, mm-hmm. a business model, and systems. That's right. what you're paying for. Right. So the the key to it though is it's one of the fastest ways for any business to duplicate. Now you don't need to own a franchise or be a franchise or franchise your business to get the benefits of that thinking. You know, this comes back to, we're going, we're coming back to what we said earlier. We're talking about systems within businesses. So yeah, I think owners at every level, every company needs to think of a system for how you hire and select, how do you onboard them and how do you develop them and how do you manage them? Mm. And if you're going to grow successfully over time, you're going to need that. Mm. It's worth the investment of time and resources to make that happen. Right. Well, that's even Elon Musk says a company is just a collection of people working together towards a common goal. 
And I think that's why, like you say, it's it might be time consuming, but it's really important. I had the, the benefit of going to this wonderful dinner a couple of weeks back with some extremely exceptional and very, very successful people. And one of the guys, what I love, said he said he likes his company. They like to work with small, intimate SEALs-like teams. I was like, well, what do you mean? And he was just explaining that it's a, it's a group of people who are really bonded, united in a common goal, and they're really good at what they do. And then we started talking about him and his business, and he was saying that he's having more success success now in the past. And one of the things that really changed is exactly what you said. He slows down and he's way more thorough in the hiring process. In fact, before they actually even agree to a probationary period, he spent almost eight hours with the candidate, just in interviewing them or eight hours, I should say on the candidate, interviewing them, you know, researching them, calling their references. Like he's really invested in getting to know these people and spending time with them to understand who they are and what they're about because of that. Because if you get the right group of people together, phenomenal things can happen. So 100%. I agree. A hundred percent. That's yeah, that's, that's so awesome. That's such a good tip. And I really think, I hope everyone listening to this has really taken this to heart because we've talked about it a lot of times on the show. Just anyone that we've had that's come here, that's had any amount of success, they, none of them have done it on their own. They've all had to rely on a team. They all had to be willing to take a smaller piece of a bigger hole. You know, a hundred percent is zero is still zero. So 10% or 5% or geez, even 2% of a lot can sometimes be phenomenal. So I really think that I, I really appreciate and love your message about hiring. And, and just what we've talked about here. I mean, on this call, we talked about modeling success and how in peak performance in the military, they took the best people and they didn't model the people, but they modeled the strategies and the tactics and the approach and the philosophy and how they did their job or the role that they were doing. That way you could take the best of the best and then you created a training system to put, they created a training system to put up other people through and how you use that to optimize that. And then we even talked about the top three problems in every business that you're going to be focused on your profits, the people in your business or the processes that help manage and train them and, and help make sure that you've got quality controls, so, so to speak, whether in performance of what people are doing, going back and forth in each one. And we talked about, which for a lot of people, they're always thinking about the profit. And we started with that talking about, like you said, even hiring the job and reverse engineering it and how almost by having a really solid hiring system, you can solve your sales problems just by taking the time to break down the sales process, wherever a sale has come from, you know, how did that sale happen? Can we document the steps that that took for that sale? Can we turn that into a process? Can we design a job around that role or maybe split that up into a couple of roles? Because I know in some sales organizations, they have someone who, you know, who, who qualifies prospects and screens them and they pass them off to another guy who warms them up, who then passes them off to a closer, you know, and that's specializing each position. So I thought that was really, really helpful. And then we took and segued that into using that same sort of methodology to hire people for your business to make sure that you get Get the top quality people for your organization. So that's phenomenal. Randy, is there anything that I should have asked you that I didn't ask you about that? I mean, that's just really powerful because that's, I think any of the coaching programs or the mastermind groups that I've been a part of or ran myself, staffing issues is always such a huge problem. Like not having the right person in the right seat or having someone who does everything in your business and then they take, they try to hijack it on you, you know, and you, you, you like the owner feels like they don't have control. So I feel that this is a really, really, really important topic. Is there anything I didn't ask you about it on, uh, about this that no I, I no i think you know i think that you know what we what we talked about is important i mean if somebody wants to get understand the job benchmarking at a deeper level then you know they can either email me or they can call me and i you know be happy to give them a you know a demonstration and give them some insight at a little deeper level and i think for those people that really have the issue then 
I'd be happy to help. Perfect. Yeah. How do people get out in touch? I mean, I, again, I've, I fully endorse you because you've been there for me time and time again. I love your stuff. It's why I knew I had to have you on the show. If people want to reach out, if they want to get involved, they want to, to find out more, how, what are the best ways? To get in the touch best with? way to reach me is to email me directly at randy at randyzales.com. Perfect. R-A-N-D-Y-Z-A-L-E-S and no relation to the jewelers. So, uh, <laughs> you know, um, that email goes directly to me. It's not screened by anybody. No one, no, no one filters my email. I get all my direct messages. And unless I'm on a plane or on a client site, usually client people will hear back from me within 24 hours. That's awesome. And you've got a couple, you got a book coming out soon too, don't you? Yeah, a book will be out later this month. And this is one of the it's part of a better business series. It's one of the systems on sales. It's called expanding your sales force. Mm. And it, it very much has the elements of things we talked about, you know, that, you know, regardless of whether somebody's a, you know, a, a solo entrepreneur, maybe hiring their first salesperson, or maybe they've got a few people and need to hire management, or they could already have a, a sales force and need to reorganize, you know, you're going to have to expand. You're going to have to shift or make changes to it. So the book series it's a series of three books, and then the fourth book is a, a compilation. And I did it that way because each book itself is almost like a little mini guide mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and a planning process. And also because most people don't read, you know, don't read that many pages. You know, if I hand you a 200-page book, you know, you're not reading it. Right, right. And and it focuses on three areas. It focuses on what we talked about before: defining the sales job, defining the capabilities necessary to do the job. And then looking at the accountabilities and activities necessary for success. And they're, each of them are part of a three-mechanism process that can be used, that any business can use to expand their sales force. So that'll be out later in April. And you and I talked about this. I'll, at some point in the month and the following months, I'll be giving away a, a copy, a free copy of the first volume. So any listeners that want a copy of that, just go ahead and email me at randy at randyzales.com. Remind me of the of this conversation and tell me you want the book. I'd be happy to send you the link or an email as soon as that book is free and available. And I'll also include you in some updates and things that we send out regularly. That's awesome. That's awesome. Randy, thank you so much for your time Absolutely. today. I mean, again, over the years, you've just been a great friend. And like I said, I wouldn't introduce you to everyone here unless I knew that you had value. And I feel, like I said before, I fully endorse everything you've got. If anyone here listening to this is having an issue with their team and their sales problems, definitely email Randy. He's a great guy to work with. He's exceptionally talented. And I know nothing but rave reviews from anyone that's worked with him. So Randy, thank you so much. Again, I know you could be spending time with your family or on your own business. So thank you for coming and sharing today with myself and my listeners. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I hope everyone has a fantastic day. You've reached the end of our interview. Now, first, let me thank you for listening. I appreciate and respect you more than you'll ever know. And now I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. First, what three lessons did you just learn? What three aha moments just jumped out at you? Second, what can you implement for yourself and your business in the next 24 hours? Third, What can you give to someone else to help you with or give them to just do it for you? Whatever it is, remember taking action is the secret sauce to results. Now, if you think this interview would be helpful for a friend, please give them a link to it. It'll help them and it'll help me too. I'd also like to invite you to help me find out more about the challenges you're facing, your dreams, your goals, and how I can help you overcome what's holding you back. We both do better when we know better. 
and your success is my success. So please reach out and interact. You can visit our website, bestbusinesscoach.ca for Canada or California, where I'm from and where I'm living. You're welcome to also try out one of our paid programs. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and pretty much every other social media channel you can think of. You should also subscribe to the podcast. And if you're enjoying them, please leave us a nice review. It really helps. That's all for now. Once again, thank you. Take care of yourself. And remember, the world needs the best business you can build. And I believe in you.